Hello, everyone. This is Greg Drevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Rider Magazine, and your host for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest today is Keith Code. Keith is the founder of California Superbike School, which has trained more than 150,000 students over the past 40 years, with schools throughout the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. 65 world and national championships have been won by racers trained by Keith Code or his coaches, and champions such as Wayne Rainey and James Toslin have used Code's methodology. Keith has been a regular columnist in Motorcyclist Magazine, and he's the author of several books, including Twist of the Wrist and Soft Science of Road Racing Motorcycles. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, for me personally, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Uh, as you may or may not recall, back in 2008, when I joined the staff at Ryder, uh, California Superbike School was one of my very first assignments. I had never been on a racetrack before, and I went through the level one and level two training. Uh, I learned a lot over that weekend, and, um, and you guys taught me some good habits. And then I went on to uh, be able to test motorcycles on the street and uh, on racetracks uh, with, you know, uh, more safely and confidently as a result of some of that training. And um, been so I, I just want to personally thank you for doing that, training me a long time ago. Wow. Well, great. Um, you know, uh, I love this. I love stories like that. And it's for sure it's not the first one I've ever heard. And uh, I never get tired of them. And of the... Uh, 121,462 students that have been through the Superbike School. This is our 40th anniversary. Wow! By the way, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm, ne I'm I'm never too proud to listen to listen to great success stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you just said, you've been in the game for a long time. Uh, you've, from what I understand, you started your one-on-one -on -one training with. Uh, motorcycle racers back in the mid 70s and then you started California Superbike School 40 years ago um, you know and you've grown it to be you know not only in the United States but you have schools in the UK and Australia and you're are the best known highly respected uh, you know track-based motorcycle training program in the world so how did you get started with all this oh my uh, <laughs> let's see how did I get started with this well I was racing in the 70s and uh I, I was racing super super bike and um super bikes class started in 1976 and i was there in 1976 and i had a street bike a nice z1 kawasaki and you know we figured out all these great ways to cheat and and uh and, and go racing <laughs> which was about half the fun of it actually <laughs> but but i i also realized that uh i didn't know as much as i think that some of the other guys I was racing against who were, you know, pretty much all mostly pros. Um, I, I didn't think I knew as much as they did. And, and, uh, and, I, and I had questions about, about different aspects of riding and, and questions I didn't have when I, when I did my first races back in, you know, 1961. <clears throat> and I thought, well, there must be answers to these things. You know, this is, there, there's gotta be, the, the kind of underlying, you know, technology to it, you know, it's got controls, it's got a throttle, it's got a brake, it's got steering handlebars and all this stuff, gear change lever and all this sort of stuff. And, and there must be, there must be something more to it. So I, I kind of uh, uh, 
started trying to think in, in that direction and uh, break it down a little bit. And fortunately, I was just, I started off with, um, with, visual, uh, with visual things because I think they were the most obvious to me <clears throat> that, that in some places I had great trouble. And uh, speaking, speaking of those days back in the, in the 70s, uh, most of my track time was on Griffith Park. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're in Los Angeles, sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was also racing. I did start uh, start racing again, and, and I hadn't raced for a while. Uh, once I once I moved back out here in uh, 1970, most of my earlier racing was back east, and uh, so I I, uh, I I started trying to break it down, and and I had just enough, I guess maybe. Uh, um, I don't know the ability to, to to look at things and and take them down to down to down to basic parts and just enough ability to to be able to un, unwind a good deal of the visual part of it and and it, and I, I saw it for sure had helped me and um, so I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to uh, go away from the industry. I didn't want to go away from racing. So I just, you know, put an ad in the cycle news and said, you know, you want to improve your riding? This is the Keith Code Rider Improvement Program. And, uh, you know, it cost, uh, I don't know what it was, like about 150 bucks or something. <clears throat> 135. 135. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good memory. <laughs> Got my mind behind me. And uh, it was one day, one day in the class where I had I, I just started writing notes for myself uh, and and eventually using them with my students. And I had seven pages of, of what I considered data, um, uh, procedures, uh, understanding of, of things. And I, I did some research, some visual research and that type of thing. And I tried to find out, you know, what other people thought about visual uh, comprehension and and applying it to high speed activities and you know things start things started to come a little clearer and a little clearer for me and uh, and then when I wrote it down and I would use that material have the student read it and then find out what they thought they read and and then we would go through those seven pages and then the next day we would go to the track and usually we'd use Willow Spring because it was like 35 bucks right <laughs> 30, so 35 bucks, you could go out and ride all day long, right? Sometimes there were cars out there too, but you know, you sort of ignored that sort of thing. Make sure all going in the same direction. <laughs> yeah, they're all going in the same direction. That's okay. So, uh, and, uh, and the, they, I started getting really good results with it. And uh, most of the guys who came to me at first was, you know, the club racing in, in, in California was very strong at that time. You know, the AFM was very strong. We had, 900, 1,000 members to it, you know, and we'd go to Riverside and Ontario and uh, rarely to Willow Springs, but mo mostly Riverside and Ontario. And, and the, you know, how many guys would show up? There were, there were hundreds of riders, right? It was pretty strong. It was really strong. And there were a lot of guys who, who, who had their, their, cut their teeth, their pro teeth uh, with the AFM back in the, back in the day. And, and you know, they would come out and they would race with you. And then you'd go like, oh my God, I guess I really got to get my stuff together here. 
I gotta, you know, go 10 seconds faster <laughs> than I'm going now, you know, things like that, which were, which were great actually, because it, it gave me some incentive and I think others too, to uh, try to try to get a little bit more out of it than just, you know, going out and racing for a couple of days and coming home with a plastic trophy, you know? And, sure. Well, you know, uh, there are, of course, are, are famous racers, ones who have won championships. They've, you know, people read about them, see them in magazines and videos and so forth. And those people obviously have a lot of natural talent, but there's also a lot of racers who are um, not well known that um, may have some level of talent, but that, you know, I think because, you know, some people think that maybe you just, there are fast people and there are slow people, but they're clearly through having gone through California Superbike School myself, because I have virtually no innate natural talent, <laughs> but that with learning certain skills and paying attention and then applying those lessons and skills, you can get better. You may not become great, but you can certainly get to be a lot better. You can ride more confidently and smoothly. And that's what makes riding, whether you're on the track or not, a lot more enjoyable when you're not, you know, scaring the bejesus out of yourself, going into corners, not knowing what you're doing. You're going in too hot. You don't know how to break, don't know how to position yourself. So to be able to learn that in a school, uh, I found it uh, um, very valuable because, like I said, I'm not a racer, but it made me a better rider on the track when I'm on the track and it made me a much better street rider. Don't ever discount <laughs> the value of scaring yourself. <laughs> those, those are the things that, that do, in fact, uh, have the tendency to you know, push people forward and, and uh, they, when, they, when they can see them, and not everybody can, by the way, but when they start to, you know, the veil starts to lift off of those things and people see that they are making mistakes and things are a little, a little lumpier than they thought they were supposed to be and it didn't seem as smooth as that other guy or that type of stuff that they they reach out for some help on it and it's it's and that's one of the things that has always fascinated me was the people who do reach out for help are the ones that actually want it and the other people are kind of bumbling along you know figuring it uh, well they didn't crash for the last couple of years so i guess they must be okay you know that type of thing that type of reasoning and so the, 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 the people I've had, I started off with, you know, they were already racing. So the, the commitment was there, you know, so that was easy. That was easy. And, and uh, the, the, the encouraging part about, about that when I, when I started on, on doing one-on-one -on -one was after uh, a year or so, <clears throat> um, I had had a couple of dozen uh, people take a, take a, take advantage of the school. And, uh, and I, I sat down and I did the math on it. And I went, these, these people have averaged improving, you know, uh, seven seconds a lap out of this, you know, 20, 30, 40 people or whatever. I still have their, all the folders right. of every single person, you know, and the questions I asked them and the answers they gave me and all this kind of stuff, right? I've, still, I've got it all. It's just sitting in one of my file cabinets. And, and I went, yeah, oh, I'm, this is this is actually pretty effective, and that that was I think that was probably the biggest part of what gave me a little bit of confidence that I that I could actually do something, and and there wasn't anybody else doing it at all. You know, it, it wasn't there. Every once in a while, somebody a pro would come out and say, Ah, you know, we're gonna, after the races, we're going to do we're going to do a track day, and they would kind of you know offer give some off offhand advice about this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, 
talk in general terms about you know how they saw racing and that sort of thing and i thought nah, yeah it's, it's i think it's i think it's more i think it's more like two plus two equals four i think right. uh i think we can break this thing down so that these guys can can do better so that was you know that was my basic idea on it and, and it was it was enormous fun for me to do this you know, i mean it, none of it was trying well, maybe some of the students were, I suppose. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, you know, to to see that you're, you know, the lessons that you're developing uh, and refining over time, you see that they're having an impact. I'm sure you're getting uh, good feedback from some of your students back then and even today, of course. But is that, you know, it is if racers want to go faster and you're helping them go faster, then, um, you know, that's exactly what they're looking for. And that's got to be gratifying if you can help them achieve it. And, you know, it's interesting, though, is that, you know, as you talk about some racers maybe going to do a track day as I'd heard and it could be applied to any support any sport perhaps but some of the people that are, really do have the natural talent probably are not the best coaches or trainers because they don't really know why they go fast or why they're a great athlete at certain things but people who have had to go through the process of of, of cultivating those skills and breaking it down uh, really really helps because um, it takes away I mean again you know what I learned from California Superbike School, I've done other track schools and so forth, is it takes away some of the mystery. Like you said, if you have people, you know, there can be value in scaring yourself a little bit, but if you go into it, you keep making the same mistakes, but you don't know why you're making them, then you're going to have difficulty overcoming that. So if you can break down some of that and take some of the mystery out of it, I think that's, you know, obviously very valuable for any student. So, Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, if you look at the whole span of, <coughs> of the, uh, uh, the trickle down effect, I suppose you could call it in a, in a way, right? Or, or, or the genetic uh, racer effect, right? So <laughs> what's the genetic version of a racer gene? Uh, well, we don't know. We haven't, we haven't identified that. What, but what you see nowadays is that the guys who are, you know, MotoGP, World Superbike, you know, top, top level riders, when do they start riding? Uh, they're three. Right. You start riding when they're three. You know, uh, I guess by the time you're five, you know, you've made quite a quite a few mistakes, and maybe you fix them, and maybe you have a good coach. You know, maybe you don't have a good coach, but some guys do. You know, Lorenzo had a great coach, and and some some other people were you know getting good advice, and and I would say that the the degree of um, understanding the the actual the breakdown of, of, of riding has has it, it it's gone so much higher than it was back then. There was there was no data. I mean, right. literally, there were two pages from John Surtees that kind of gave you a little idea that you might be able to think through something and improve it. And that was all I could find in that series, you know, early mid seventies. And aside from that. There was a bunch of, you know, you don't know how fat, fast you can go until you crash. That was well, a lot, of, a lot of advice just like that. Right, right. Yeah. If you don't crash, you're not trying hard enough, that sort of thing. Well, you know, is, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, is it, I imagine, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that if you were developing your training methods uh, and your lessons and that you were basically, it's a process of trial and error. You're getting feedback from racers and other students. They're telling you what's working. You're observing what's working. And then you're, you know, you're basically, you know, refining the process that, okay, well, maybe that lesson or that approach wasn't as helpful as this is, and that, you know, you're developing your methods. Because 
I know you've, you've written several books. You were a regular columnist and motorcyclist. You would break down, uh, you had code break as your, as your column. You would give, you know, more bite-sized pieces and lessons, but you know, it's, it, that stuff doesn't just fall out of the sky. You've had to develop it over time. Well, yeah, I haven't written anything for a while. And, and the main reason I haven't written anything for a while, even though I have about 40,000 words of things that I probably could put into a book, is I've, I've really been focusing on the school. And, and they, you know, I mean, we, worldwide, we have about 100 coaches. Wow. And here, you know, when we go out on, on location, uh, there are 21 of us out there, you know, 13, 14 coaches. And, and the, the refinement of, of the coaching is really what I've put my, most of my attention on. So if I come up with a great idea, and I've had some bad ones too, believe me, that <laughs> 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 really didn't work out but i think i come up with a good idea you know i kind of work it out myself i try to go out and maybe write it or or whatever and and then then i can like pass it on to the, the coaches and and uh they drill that, it. That, that's that huh they drill it they, well yeah if i if i can write it down then they drill it and then they have to do it and and we find out whether it works pretty well or not you know like i can export it I can come up with it. I can come up with the idea, then I can train somebody or train a couple of people, and then we send it over to the guys in the UK and see how they do with it. And we send it to the guys in Australia and see how they do with it. So I got kind of a testing mechanism that sort of evolved. You know, with I didn't think about it that way right from the beginning, but it's kind of evolved like that, and uh, I think it's been pretty successful. I, I mean, there's 400 pages of coaching material now. Wow! Right and uh, yeah, uh, so that that's that's really been my focus, I guess. Well, in addition to the you know classroom training and the drills you do on the track, one of the things that I found interesting when I took uh, you know the level, went through the level one and level two training is uh, that you've got some of these innovative training tools like actual hands-on tools. You've got the lean bike and the body position bike, um, the no BS or the no body steering bike. I mean. You know, how did you come up with some of these as 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 basically hands-on training tools, not just a lesson, but an actual physical thing that you could uh, work with students? Uh, well, my background is uh, <clears throat> I went a very good high school student, but I was a really good uh, design school student after I managed to squeak out of high school, and uh, I have I had some really bright instructors and i i i learned lessons from them you know, i wasn't really writing much at the time i learned lessons from them that you can take a, a complex subject like drawing and painting right that these things are they, they can go a million different ways but that, that these these guys were really really bright and they were able to 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 take uh take a single aspects of of it and show you uh develop uh, drills and exercises for it and that so that was my that was my 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 uh, education on the subject was somebody people who were who were smart enough to be able to do that and uh, uh it it i even i learned how to draw and i was terrible at it <laughs> really terrible at it but you, you know, you're like, okay, uh, what's one of their drills? One of their drills was to take a piece of paper and you draw, you know, an eight, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and you draw an, an eight inch square in the inside of it. 
and you, you make about a hundred of these things and you visually find the center of the page with your pencil and put a dot there. And then you put a cross from the top right to the lower left and the top left to the lower right. And you see how close you are at getting your dot in the middle of the page. I'm like, okay, this is, it seems ridiculously stupidly simple, right? But after you did about 50 or 75 or 100 of those things, you could get it every single time. And I went, hmm, <laughs> there's, some, there's something to that. This, this guy had a, great, had a great drill. And uh, I, I, would, I would have to, uh, I would have to, to, to attribute the, that, that kind of uh, analytical thinking to, to that exposure, really was an art school, design school. Well, I mean, like with the lean bike or slide bike, you've got, you know, basically bikes with outriggers so that, you know, uh, you know, students essentially can't crash them. They can't topple over. Cause that's, I imagine that's the number one fear that all students, I know I had that as a fear is, the fear is crashing. And so you don't want to, I mean, it's, it's the, you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to damage the bike. You don't want the embarrassment, uh, all of those things. So that if you can remove that variable or that, that from the equation, and they can understand things. So, um, and then I know with your body position bike is a way that it's it's essentially it's not even a full bike. It's mostly just the seat and the tank and handle where they can see what it's like to have a bike fully leaned over but not moving. So you can have a coach standing there and they can get a sense of how their body is positioned on the bike. But um, th there's nothing like a physical or you know three dimensional sort of training tool like that. And um, I found again I still remember some of those experiences from you know years ago. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely true, uh, but the idea on that, for sure, was to be able to uh, put the rider in a position where they could do some things that they would normally be afraid of, right. and and, uh, uh, and and put their their focus on on what it was that, that you were trying to get across to them, and and that they could see how that that how that would uh, improve what they were doing or could do. Or in some cases, that's really what it, what it, the function of it was. Was they they saw things that they could could actually do. Oh, I, oh, I guess I I can lean this bike over twenty degrees further than I've been leaning. It's like okay, what does that mean? It means a lot of corner speed, <laughs> right? Is what right. it means. So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm for sure. I mean, I'm proud of those things. They're they're uh, they were they were things that just you know I went. Gah. I, I, how am I going to train this? You know, you, you can take somebody out one-on-one -on, -one on a big skid pad, like out of the streets of Willow or something like that, and ride them around and run them around and run them around, you know, many, many times, but it takes, a, it takes quite a long time to, to, to get, give them the essence of what it is you're trying to show them. Right. So taking away the, the danger part of it was, uh, was a uh, a key to being able to do it quick more quickly that's sure that's exactly what i was saying it's, it's like you can get to that light bulb moment or that aha moment much more quickly and effectively if you remo remove some of the you know the fear and danger part that you know is is holding people back i mean i imagine so an interesting question i have is that um uh, for for i don't know how many years now at least maybe last decade you've been in your your fleet at the California Superbike School. Now I understand students can bring their own bike if it's track worthy or track safe. And even when our, our new road test editor guy went through your school, 
uh, back in June, there was somebody with a Harley Road Glide and he was uh, getting around the track pretty good and he wants to compete in one of these bagger racing leagues. But that the fleet of bikes that you have that students can, can pay to use for the school are BMW S1000RR sport bikes, which are some of the most powerful sport bikes on the market. So how is that a good training tool for students that may have never been on a track before? <laughs> you, you would not believe <laughs> the load I got when I, when I just told people that I wasn't going to use 600s anymore. I was going to use 193 horsepower, <laughs> 1000s. And I was like, are you crazy? You can't put people on those motorcycles. Why? They'll crash their brains out. They'll kill themselves. It'll be horrible. And, and, and you'll, your rep, rep, reputation is going to be bad for motorcycling in general and all this kind of, kind of stuff. So I put, so I, okay, I still wanted the bikes. Right, I, I wanted the bikes, and and uh, Kawasaki, who had I've been with for thirty years, actually was they were pulling back. It was oh eight, oh nine, right? The finances were you know, big crashes in the motorcycle industry, as you probably well know. We went from about one hundred and ten or one hundred and fifteen thousand new units a year down to something crazy like forty thousand units, new units a year. It was it was a huge bust. And you know, I started putting people in these 1000s and, and my, my thought on it was, you know, these guys, people are going to get on these motorcycles. They got 193 horsepower. They'll go 200 miles an hour. Basically they go do a quarter mile and 155, 155 miles an hour in, you know, friggin' 10 seconds or something like that. And I went, I'll bet they'll really be afraid of these things. <clears throat> and that's what happened, <laughs> right? People would want to go the gas on and go, Oh my God, this thing is really powerful. And not every single person, but most of them. And, and right off the top, there were a few things that I did change on, the, on, the, on our track safety thing, but, but not huge. But right off the top, we had a 40% reduction in, in crashes. Right off the top, immediately. Right. So all those people that were leaning on me about you know, how stupid I was and how crazy I was of putting you know, people on high-speed high motorcycles had to like you know, bite their tongues and, <clears throat> and back off a little bit. You know, I don't even know if they believed me, to be honest, but that's exactly what happened. That's, those are the real true statistics. Well, they, I, I don't know what the, the spec was on the S1000Rs when they first came out, but these days, you know, with different riding modes and, and cornering ABS, I know that wasn't available, you know, back in uh, 2010 when the bike came out, but, you know, um, are those sorts of things where you can dial down the power uh, depending on the mode, you can have things like, you know, uh, cornering ABS, where again, it, it can at least limit people from, from grabbing a whole bunch of front brake and tuck in the front. Um, are those, are, are those helpful in your school or are those things not really utilized to that degree? I mean, I know, like I said, when they first came out, you know, you probably didn't have some of those safety features. And, and so you still had the reduction in crashes versus the 600s. But are these other things, are they, have they been helpful as innovations to add to these bikes or what? Well, the first bikes had, had traction control and ABS. Okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> what it, when you asked me that, what it reminded me of was I had a real uh, seasoned set of corner workers that, that have been helping me already for quite a long time uh, up in the Bay Area. And uh, great group, great group of people. 
this phenomenal. They're, they're still helping me. And they, you know, they got 25 years of being corner workers. And they're out there watching these people go around on the 1000s and going, it, it, the reports are coming back on the radio. So, and it sounded like that, that guy had no idea that what he, what he was doing he would have crashed for sure if he had done that on a regular motorcycle. And I was like, oh yeah. So, you know, the ABS and the and the traction control really, really worked out quite well, actually. They were, they were, they kind of um, you know, set uh set set bounds <clears throat> that the, the rider could could ride within. Uh, sure within them, right? But we never limited the horsepower. We would start everybody out in rain mode. And that that does limit the the amount of power you can get at certain lean angles, and and the the intervention on the tire spin is is at a greater a higher level. That's that's all true, right? But but it also started giving the riders a little bit better sense of of what the limits are, also, right? Because they how how many riders that we get would go out and roll the throttle on until the rear wheel started to spin, right? And the answer to that is about one out of every 10,000. Right. So this, you know, when that little yellow light starts beeping on the, on your, on your dashboard and they go, what's that? That's, that's, that's wheel spin. <laughs> yeah. That's the TC light. Yeah. Now by the same token, by the same token, when you're training somebody who wants to be a pro for sure, right? They're not there just to improve their street riding or their club racing or something like that. And you get somebody who's a pro. <clears throat> I would always start them out with zero controls, no, no ABS, no traction control. I go, you are going to learn where this motorcycle starts to spin the tire. And we're going to figure out, you know, we, we had data, data analysis on, on the bikes. You're going to figure out how much tire spin is valuable and how much is not good. And this, that was for Joe Roberts. That's, that was exactly how I did. I said, you get no controls. You, you get to ride a raw 193 horsepower motorcycle and you got to figure out, you got to figure out, <laughs> you got to figure out what traction is. You got to understand what traction is. And, and uh, I'd, I'd say that that worked, that worked really well. You know, we would say, okay, you know, the, the, the Dunlop engineer and the BMW guys as well say, okay, you get the best acceleration off a motorcycle with about 15 to 17% wheel spin. I'm like, okay, I get it. all right. So that's the tires and, and the suspension and, and all the other factors combined. And, and uh, if you have more than that, you're just spinning the tire, you're not going anywhere. If you have less than that, you're, you, you don't have as much power to the ground. And so we're looking for those, those numbers in between like 15, 17, 18% in that, in that range. And after, Training uh, Joe Roberts, for example, who's doing pretty well on Moto2, uh, uh, we put the data acquisition on it. And when the tire would spin, it would be right in that 15, 16, 17% bracket, right? Because he learned, he learned that. And, uh, and, and traction wasn't a problem for him, right? So I, I realized that there's, you know, there's, there's another layer to this, this training thing and and that and that's part of it now can you take you know the regular guy off the street and do the same thing you probably could if you could spend enough time with them one-on-one -on -one. 
but other than that, you know, it's it's not something that they're that they're reaching for. So you know, it it becomes a little bit more of a training problem, and of course, that's where this sophistication in the coaching comes in. You know, the coaches being able to observe what the students doing, and then have a correction for it. And the 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 correction list is interesting because students come up with interesting stuff. They come up with interesting problems. They come in and go, "Yeah, well, I was in that corner, you know, and I don't know exactly what was happening, but." Yeah, I find myself rolling on and off the gas, and then, and then you know, I, I kept on missing the apex, and some of the, and I'm going, yeah, okay, all right. So what's, you know, what's the, what's the essence of this problem? And so as it stands right now, we have uh, 207 drills, individual drills that that we we can apply to to the students right and it's just the, the list has grown and grown and grown as time goes on students come up with the problems and i sit around and scratch my head a bunch and pull on my beard a little bit and you know and come up with something and then the coaches try it and if it works then we keep it if it doesn't work it's you know one, another one of those great ideas that doesn't work <laughs> Sure. Well, for people that don't know, so walk us through the different levels of training, uh, what's required for a student who may want to go through California Superbike School. Um, you know, I know there's different levels. You have different kinds of training. Uh, give us a little overview so people know what, what they might be in for. Well, actually, the levels are broken down into groups uh, groups of, uh, of, writing, of writing skills, technique, techniques, or technology, whichever way you can call it, either, either one. And the, each, each one of the level one, two, and three uh, have five different exercises on them, right? The first one is a throttle control, turn points, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, they, each, each one of the, those first three levels is broken down into, into bits. Uh, the second, the second uh, set of drills is, is focused more on visual skills. And, then, and the third one is more on body position and how you can operate uh, in, how you can improve what you're already doing well with uh, with body position and some things you can do with body position that are very valuable on the street and also work on on a track for sure so it's it's the the sort of the the very basic set visual set and then the body position stuff with first three levels and then our our fourth level is what we call what do we call it? Level four. Level four. <laughs> <laughs> we call it level four, and on that, that's a that's a, a more of an individual consultation kind of thing. We usually have somewhere between one and four level four coaches, and uh, they they take uh, in between one and three students from from each ride, and uh, go go through what it is that they're doing and what they can do to improve it. And that's where the, that's where all the, all those couple of hundred drills that we've come up with, that's where they apply. You know, we, we focus them in on that and then give, give their on-track coach the, the, uh, the, the, the data on what the student is supposed to be doing. So when they go out with the student, they have that written on their tank notes and they see what they see what they're doing and they coach them along that line. So that's, that, that, that individual part is um, is what level four is all about, you know. So it can go anywhere. I mean, the co the student could work on the same drill all day long. They could have different drills every single time. 
they they could uh, perhaps be uh, finding some, some a smaller part or or a a a a uh, a um, an aspect of a of a drill or a skill or technique, whatever you want to call it, um, that that will will help them improve. Sure. So that's 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 the that's what the four levels are. So so basically, you could go through level like if you do a full day of training, you would do like let's say you did it on a Saturday, you could do level one. You could yeah. come back on Sunday, do level two. So um, our, our levels three and four, they also most mostly one day of training and then well, i know you've got some two-day camps as well how do those differ level three is also it's it's a uh, its own thing completely okay. level four is level four and it's uh it, it's it's it has breakdowns of many of the all of the things that are that are on levels one two and three but there are also other drills on there that that, that um that we don't we can't cover on a level one, two, or three type day, so it's it's uh, it's personalized consultations is what right. it really boils down right. to, and mm -hmm. it's been super successful. We have we have uh, we can't handle all of our level four guys sometimes. You know, right. they just they keep on coming back because it's they know that, that the program is going to be based on exactly what their problem is, and and. Uh, um, we we can fill up whole days with just the level four people. We've had one guy who's done over two hundred level four days. <laughs> wow! And I can tell you, his rides were really good. <laughs> sure. So even though you know it's called California Superbike School, and you do training at places like Streets of Willow and uh, near Los Angeles, uh, but you do training at tracks around the country. I mean, that's that's one of the great things about the school is that you know there's you you do it coast to coast throughout the season. Is that correct? Mm. Yeah, New Jersey, Kentucky, Virginia, Virginia, uh, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. Where else? Uh, a new one at Pittsburgh uh, in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do, we're gonna do Pittsburgh. You do uh, the Ridge up there in uh, what is that Washington State? Is that? that was our yeah, that was our last set of schools we did. We had yeah. six six yeah. days of school up there. Well, I mean, that's great because, again, you know, you got students that are all over the place and that, you know, if they're going to invest the money in some training, if they can, don't have to travel super far, you know, uh, don't have to come out to California and there's a school nearby, that'd be great. And your training, uh, I, again, I, uh, it's usually from about February till March. I know that we'll make sure there's a, a link to the California Superbike School website on the show notes, but you've got your full schedule on the website and pricing and everything anybody would want to find out. It's February till the end of November, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we do uh, we do between eighty and ninety school days a year. Wow, that's a lot. Well, and the, and the good thing you know is that, for example, our um, our new road test editor guy, he had just come on staff. Um, we had a little bit of difficulty getting him some apparel, so he was able to. Uh, and this is something that people should know: is that as a student. Again, you know, there's a price for if you use your own bike. There's a price for if you use a California Superbike School uh, BMW. Uh, but uh, in the training price, you can use leathers, helmet, boots, gloves. People, if they don't have track appropriate gear, that they can uh, have. Act, they can use that as well. Is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. We got we got. I don't know how many sets of leathers we got. Sixty or seventy sets of leathers. We got zillions of boots. 
we got helmets up the yin yang. <laughs> we got gloves. Yeah, there's we can we can suit everybody up, but you know, quite a, quite a few of the students come with their own stuff. Sure, sure. And so you basically need to just be a licensed motorcycle rider. Is that all that's really required? Competent street rider. Well. We don't ask them for their license. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, well, I mean, for example, since it's on a track and there are some young people that race, do you train uh, young people that are in their, you know, teens that aren't maybe 16 or 18, but they're maybe 14 or is that less common? I think the youngest students we've ever had were nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. But they'd already been racing for three or four years. I see. So, yeah, you're helping them take them to the next level. Yeah, sure. That's, that's, uh, yeah, it's a, they start at nine, and I think the oldest student we've ever had was 82. 82. Yeah. You're a pretty good rider, too. I bet. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt yeah. it. That's what you want to be doing when you're 82 if you can. So that's great. Oh, it was wonderful. Well, I, like I said, I, I had a great experience years ago. Guy really, for him, it was like, it was a bucket list thing. Since he's originally from the UK, he was familiar with the, the training that was available in the UK and had never done it. It was on his bucket list to go through your school. So... Uh, he was uh, really enjoyed the level one and level two. We've got a great feature that he wrote in our August uh, 2021 issue. Uh -huh. um, and uh, yeah, appreciate you bringing him out and getting him some training. And uh, uh, it was a great experience for both of us. Well, the, the, the cool thing, here's, here's, there's some great things about, about this school, you know, and, and I, I don't know what other activities are like this, but the, the coaches are so enthusiastic. Um, and that's one of the, that's one of the, you know, the, the precedents we use to hire these guys. They, they get so enthusiastic about what they're, what they, what they can do with their students. And, and it, we, we don't have, we don't have coaches who are more interested in their own writing than they are in coaching, coaching students. And we have some great trick ways of figuring out, you know, why the guy, why the guy is approaching uh, is, um, has to be a coach. Yeah, it want, you know, comes to us and wants to be a coach and say, like, yeah, you know, I can, I can ride 12 different tracks, you know, I could ride 80 or 90 days a year and, you know, this type of stuff. And we, they get rid of themselves pretty fast, actually, but because the, the coaching job itself is quite well defined now. And the, uh, they, they have to go through an internship. It's not, hey, this guy's a really good rider, man. He's, you know, Dave, you know, AMA quality, he probably could go to world champion or something, something like that. And so he's, he's bound to be able to coach people. Well, that's absolutely categorically untrue completely, right? A coach is a coach and, and you have to find people who are more interested in that guy that they're following or they're letting him follow him, them to, to learn something. You gotta find people who are more, have their interest level is in that, at that at that range. And, and most racers aren't. And that's stuff I found, I discovered back in the you know, early 70s. I had just, you know, some of the top guys uh, in America as students who would also come out and, and uh, you know, want to help at the school. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I, <clears throat> one out of five of them actually turned into a pretty good coach. That was Wes Cooley. Ah, okay. Yeah, I mean, Wes Coley was a, for sure a big name back then. He was a wonderful guy. Just you know, we got along fantastically, and and he 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 put his whole his whole self into it. You know, he didn't he didn't you know try to be smart ass or 
or you know smarter than these other guys or or you know really be working on his own writing or any anything like that he was absolutely interested and most of the other people that we've had that we had come out come out eddie lawson was fantastic right i mean two-time world champion right sure yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it's like, you know, you say it's like, it's not just how fast we go, but it's personality, ego or lack thereof, and the ability to like really want to help other people improve, not just do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's the thing is, uh, is that thing. And, but the, the payoff, the great payoff on it is that when the, when the coaches apply the data that we've, you know, figured out it actually works and the way it works and how and how they relate with the students and how they push the student forward or not push the student forward the kind of drills that they assign to them the ones that work that'll work and ones that don't work they are the coaches have to drill through all that stuff sure. over, over and over and over and over again right until so, until they really know it and 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 then and then we yeah. the guys that that we finally wound up hiring they see that they see the change right and 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 they go like yeah like i did that <laughs> i got that i got that guy you know he started off i don't know maybe i'm not sure he knew how to let the clutch out perfectly you know? <laughs> well i'm sure it's got to be really gratifying i mean not just for yourself but uh, for your individual coaches as they see people make market improvements because I know Guy was telling me, and I remember this myself, it's, is when you have your own personal breakthroughs, it's very exciting. And then you share that with your coach and that, you know, it, re, it that's how you build up some of that confidence. You kind of believe in yourself. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty infectious quality to have or situation to be in. It feels good for both the rider and the coach, I'm sure. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and one, of, one of the, uh, one of the most basic aspects of it is that, that the, the coaches themselves have to be good communicators. You know they they can't they can't be um, you know shy about about this that or the other thing because there are quite a few different coaching techniques that we have developed over these the last forty years and well more since I started training but um, it, we've we've got we've got something no matter what attitude they show up with <laughs> right right and every once in a while we get somebody you know that kind of that, you know, actually comes out to uh, to let us know yeah. how good how good a writer they are, right? Yeah, and we we got ways of oh, handling those shows. I didn't turn the phone off. I'm sorry, I can't talk. Bye, bye, bye. Who was that? Howard Becker. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, we, but we weed those guys out pretty fast. I mean, yeah. the, the the guys on my staff who who hire, Kobe Fair and Johnny Haynes. Uh, have been working doing that job for decades now, right? And they they know all the little subtleties. They know the question <laughs> questions to ask. They know the they know how to how, how to spot the guys who are just there for themselves and the other ones who are actually there because they want to, you know. Yes, they want to ride, and yes, they want to you know improve their own riding. But they they have enough of their own of their own uh, perspective on on it to not be troubled by that stuff and are willing to focus it on that guy in front of them. And it's, it's a, I, I think, I think we hire something like one out of 20 or 25 people who apply. Wow. 
right? Because mm-hmm. so not everybody has that viewpoint. They go, all right, I've got an S1000 and they're going to give me some nice new letters and, and all this other kind of stuff. So <laughs> uh, th- that happens, but less and less as time goes on. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is um, your son, Dylan, has been actively involved with your school. I mean, so California Superbike School has been, a, you know, very much a family run operation for a long time. It must be gratifying to have the next generation that's, you know, training uh, other students and being actively involved in the school. So, uh, yeah, you've created quite a legacy. Yeah, Dylan's, uh, Dylan's been working at the school since... Uh, I think he was uh, 10. Yeah, he was 10. But he took a hiatus. Yeah, he, he went off and did some other things for a while. And, mm-hmm. and, and then, he, then he came back. And uh, uh, at one point along the line, I, I looked at it and I went, oh, man, you know, you got to do, do a technical briefing. You know, got to do at least five of them a day. Sometimes on other, other camps, we do seven. And, and uh, you know, this it's the curriculum on level one, level two, and level three. Okay, fine. And I went back and I looked it over and I went, you know, I've done 12,264, 12,000 and change technical briefings. Like, uh, he's a really good uh, uh, material presenter, right? And in, in many ways, I think he's even better than I am. Right. I mean, I come up with stuff, but he's he was really good. And then he added some other neat stuff to it. And, you know, just he's put a lots of lots of neat little changes, visuals and visuals and more and more data and, you know, more more video, more visual uh, um, uh, examples of, of, of various things. So he's really, really, really improved it. And and it's it's been it's been great. So I I haven't I haven't done I haven't done technical briefings for several years now. You know. Ever since you fired me. Ever since I fired Judy. <laughs> <laughs> fired your wife? <laughs> well, you got you to realize she did 30 years at the school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so maybe yeah. she just retired. <laughs> I, yeah, I got kicked her out. I said, don't you have anything else to do? You know, you've already done this. You're great at it. Now, if you, you, now you need to train Dylan's girlfriend. Right, <laughs> which she did. Like she's got a full-time job keeping you in line. So <laughs> there's that too. Yes. That. <laughs> well, uh, Keith and Judy, I, you know, you've been very generous with your time. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I, again, I appreciate the opportunity to have uh, gone through the school um, in the past. And thanks for training our new uh, road test editor guy. Uh, it's uh, it means a lot to us at the magazine. And so I hope you guys enjoy the. The feature, we'll make sure we get you guys some extra copies of that magazine. So is there anything else you want to say or share before we sign off? Um, I don't know. It's, you know, the, this whole thing about motorcycles is, uh, is is fantastic because, you know, <clears throat> after these, you know, 127,000 students or whatever it is in 40 years of doing this, plus the, the other earlier stuff, but I, I realized that, you know, this motorcycle riders just are have a little different <clears throat> they're willing to put themselves in obvious and known danger mm-hmm. on a daily basis every time they swing a leg over a motorcycle right and and that it in itself is 
is, is something that elevates them sort of, you know, emotionally or their, their emotional tone is greater. It's they're, they're more, I think they're more, uh, more widely um, acceptable. Their uh, acceptance level of, of instruction, right? And they're willing to pay for it too. And that's, that's, not a, that's not a little thing that just keeps us all going. It's somebody who's willing to pay for it is obviously, you know, throwing their hat in the ring and said, yeah, okay, I could improve. And you know what? I'll give you some money too. I'll give you a few hundred bucks, right? Or they're going to come to the two-day camp and give me a couple thousand dollars, right? Where things are, 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 are more expensive, but, you know, worth it, of course. But at any rate, that it's, it's a fantastic uh, thing. You know, you're, you're in the motorcycle business and all those people you talk to all the time, right? Most of them have this same viewpoint, and it's. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cut it's, above the norm. It's a cut. Of, it's a cut above the norm. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, to be a motorcyclist, you've got to be more actively engaged in the world. Uh, you know, you can't really be on autopilot. Um, you know, I mean, heck, you can buy Teslas these days where they have an autopilot mode. I mean, you know, you really have to be actively involved in you know the balance and the control of a motorcycle. And um, as you said, you know, if you're willing to accept the with risks you're always also uh, entitled to the rewards of riding a motorcycle and it can be thrilling. It can be exciting. It can be an escape. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I absolutely believe it. So, you know, and, but it's, as you know, much more than anybody is that there are a lot of people out there that um, aren't getting the most out of motorcycling because of they have limited training or experience and that uh, the, the real enjoyment of a motorcycle can really come out of riding it well and it doesn't mean being a racer it can just be on the street but you can be more confident and safe and you know and maybe smooth whatever it might be and you get more out of it, it you, it's much more gratifying so yeah so. Uh, absolutely you're 100 on that because uh really the you know you take all of the hundred and some thousand students that we've had and less than one percent of them have actually been racers you know some of them have been interested in racing and sure. have converted and converted and going like, wow, this is really fun. I think I'll go racing. <clears throat> and there's there's certainly been some conversion on that, but most of the conversion has been, you know, it's actually really a lot of fun to go fast on racetrack. And I don't think this really applies as much as I thought it did on the street. And they have a tendency to be safer riders out there, aside from the fact that they know how to ride better. And uh, it, it so it tempers them tempers them down sure. to, to uh, you know, riding for enjoyment rather than, you know, that just the, 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 the red mist, <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they calm down their red mist and, right. and, uh, and it's gratifying because they don't crash and, uh, and they, and they come back to the school and they have a great time and, you know, probably I mean, yeah, I mean, I've heard racers say that they won't ride on the street because they think it's too dangerous, you know, and the, what we often have to convince our readers is that, well, there's not really, a, a, there aren't often as many ways to do training safely on the street. A racetrack yeah. where there's no traffic and traffic lights and, and hazards and so forth, and everybody's going in the same direction and you're all on the same page, that that's a really safe environment. You don't have to go racer speeds on a track. It's just a safe laboratory type environment where you can, it's a much more controlled environment for training. And so, yes, like you said, I'm not surprised that the vast majority of your students are not interested in racing. They don't become racers. They're street riders that just want to be able to ride, you know, better, faster, safer, whatever it might be. So, yeah. We all enjoy going faster. Yes. <laughs>
this is the little bug in the program. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't found of any of the students that we've had over the years, I haven't found anybody who doesn't get a charge out yeah. of trying to, and then, you know, maybe they make some mistakes or maybe they don't make mistakes going faster. You know, it's just part of the thing. And, and it elevates us it, 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 it pushes it, you know, we, we become enthusiastic about it, right? We get this great sensation out of it. And, and, and everybody, everybody does who rides and, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's a draw. It, that's, that's sort of payday, right? You get, you get these great sensations out of doing it and that's payday. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Keith and Judy, uh, for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.